Well, happy Easter, everyone. Good to be with you today across all our campuses and venues and wherever you happen to be joining us today. We're just glad you're with us. It's a little strange to be celebrating Easter on April Fool's Day, but hey, we made it through March and it's not snowing, at least not today. So it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Well, one of the most talked about movies of this past year was a coming-of-age story entitled Lady Bird. Now, as her nickname suggests, Christine is a quirky, flawed, but likable young woman trying to make it through her senior year of high school. She's tired of her lame life in suburban Sacramento. She dreams of going off to some prestigious East Coast school and becoming a writer, but she doubts in her heart that it will ever really happen. And her adolescent angst causes her to act out in all kinds of unhelpful ways. She fights with her mother. She's mean to her brother. She ditches her best friend to try to get in with the cool girls. She gives her heart to the wrong guys. And at times, she's downright cruel to some of the well-meaning people in her life. In one of the most poignant scenes, she and her mom are shopping for a prom dress in a discount store. And as Lady Bird tries on one predictable gown after another, she and her mom are arguing through the closed door of the changing room. Any moms identify with that experience? Okay. Finally, in exasperation, her mom says, all I want is for you to be the best version of yourself. At which point, Lady Bird steps out of the changing room, looks in the mirror, and says forlornly, what if this is the best version of myself? And that's a question we're all inclined to ask ourselves from time to time when we look in the mirror. Is this really me? I mean, is is this who I want to be? Is, Is this the best I can hope for? Now, maybe we see our potential. We might even see a few things we like about ourselves. But we also see our flaws. We wish we had a little more of this and a little less of that. We, we contemplate our, our regrets and our, our failures and, and maybe the bad things that have happened to us. And we look in the mirror and say, is this as good as it gets for me? Over the past seven weeks or so here at Grace, we have been taking an honest and searching look at what's wrong with the world. It was a series that we called Broken. And we introduced the message each week with this disturbing video of beautiful objects falling to the floor and being smashed into pieces. Dishes and uh, uh, family photographs, ornaments. It was actually quite disturbing. And as you watch it happen, you wonder, when things are broken like that, can they ever be put back together again? Week by week, we named some of the things that are wrong with the world. Injustice. Indifference, violence, corruption, hypocrisy. And as we looked at those things week after week, we began to realize that we were actually looking in a mirror. That the world's brokenness is the reflection of our brokenness. We're not just victims, but perpetrators of these things that do such damage to the world and to our own souls. And like I said, it got kind of disheartening after so many weeks. It became clear that the world is not the way we want it to be, and we're not always the people we want to be. And like Humpty Dumpty, we begin to feel as though all the king's horses and all the king's men can never put it all back together again. 
But what if someone could? What if there was a way to take broken people, broken lives, and put them back together in a way that they became even more beautiful than they were before? What if the best version of yourself is the version that's yet to be? Well, with those questions in mind, let's drop in on a remarkable encounter that took place on the evening of Easter Sunday in a room full of people, a lot like this room, actually. And what happened in the room that night changed their lives, changed the world. And it has the potential to do the same thing for us and for our world. So the story is told by two writers who had... Uh, first-hand accounts to go on as they put together their Gospels, Luke and John. So we're going to draw on both those Gospel writers as we try to piece together what happened on that remarkable evening. So we'll begin in John's Gospel. He writes, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So here are Jesus' followers, men and women, gathered in what was probably the upper room where they'd had their last supper with Jesus. 38, 48 hours earlier, their world had come crashing to the ground as they watched their friend and their master, Jesus, hung on a cross to die. Now, they had staked everything on Jesus of Nazareth, their faith, their reputations, their future, and it had ended in the worst possible way, a bloody, shameful, public execution. It was over. Their, their reputations had been ruined. Their lives were now in danger. And worst of all, they had failed their friend and each other in the worst way possible, deserting and even denying him at a moment when he needed them the most. And so here they are for a day and a half cooped up in this room, doors locked, windows shuttered, all they have to do is to remember and regret everything that had gone wrong in the past two days. Their hearts were broken and their world was shattered. Now, we know a little bit about what's, what that's like. We've all had things go terribly wrong in our lives. A serious illness, maybe, or a sudden job loss, a breakup, the passing of someone that we love, a terrible mistake, a bad decision. And suddenly, the life that we've been building for ourselves comes crashing to the ground around us. We catch a glimpse of ourselves in the mirror and we say, is this me? Is this my life now? Every, week here at, every year here at Grace, in the week leading up to Easter, we offer something that we call sacred spaces. We take over the building and we set up these self-guided retreat centers all over the building. We invite people to come and spend a little private individual time in those spaces reflecting on the themes of the season. This year's theme, of course, was broken. In one of the stations, we were invited to follow a path through a kind of darkened maze of partitions. And then find a seat and just look straight ahead. Now, I didn't know what to expect as I started walking down that path, but I found a seat, sat down, looked straight ahead, and what I saw took my breath away. I was looking directly into a mirror 
but it was a mirror that had been shattered into jagged pieces. And so I was looking at a broken image of myself, disconnected and distorted. Is that me? Is that what I look like? Could I be that broken? I usually look so put together, right? (laughs) Could I have cracks in my character? Jagged edges to my relationships? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes, I am broken. Things have happened to me that have made a mark. I've done things that have hurt other people and hurt myself. I'm not always the man I want to be or the man I like people to think I am. And I've got to believe the same is true for you too sometimes. And every once in a while, we come face to face with just how broken we are. And I think that's what was happening in that upper room that night. These followers, these men and women, cooped up with themselves, looking into the mirror of recent events, they saw themselves and their world shattered. But then, on the morning of the third day, a few of the women came back. They'd been out of the tomb. And they came back with reports that the tomb was empty, that Jesus' body was nowhere to be found, that there were some angels there who told them that he had risen. In fact, one of the women said she had actually seen Jesus and had a conversation with him, though she didn't really recognize him at first. Now, wait a second. This is crazy talk. These women are obviously in shock. They're grief-sticken. They're, they're hysterical. These kinds of things can't happen. But two of them went off to check it out anyway, Peter and John. They ran out to the tomb, and sure enough, it was empty. But there was no Jesus, and there was no angel. One of them, John, looked inside and, and actually believed that something had happened, though he wasn't sure what. The other one, Peter, didn't know what to make of the whole thing. Well, they spent that afternoon arguing about what had actually happened, about what it meant, about what they should do next, when suddenly two other followers came through the door of that room. And they said they too had seen him. They were huffing and puffing because they'd run seven miles from Emmaus. They said they'd seen Jesus out there on the road, that in fact they sat down and had dinner with them, and then he suddenly vanished from their sight. Now, wait a second. This is crazy. People don't just suddenly appear in the middle of nowhere, have a sandwich, and then vanish into thin air. I mean, who can believe this stuff? What's going on? So again, they're arguing and discussing these things, and then in the middle of that discussion, a stranger appears in their midst. Just like that. Doors locked, second floor, but there he is, standing right in the middle of them. They don't know who it is at first. They think it's a ghost. But then he speaks And the first thing he says is peace. Peace be with you. Now, you know what peace means in a Hebrew context. It means shalom, right? And you know what shalom means? Wholeness. Wellness. Everything the way it's supposed to be. Now, peace is the last thing in the world they were feeling at that particular moment. So, let's keep reading. Jumping over to Luke's gospel. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts rise in your minds? Now, you can't blame them for being troubled, right? For being doubtful. I mean, for one thing, it doesn't even look like him. They don't recognize him at first. But for another thing, and this is the main thing, it was impossible. I mean, people who have died don't show up later that day at their own wake, sipping punch and joining the conversation. I mean, what were they supposed to say? Oh, hey, Jesus, funny thing. We were just talking about you. It's ridiculous. You know, it occurred to me as I was kind of trying to relive this story that what was happening in that room full of people is not all that different from what's happening in this room full of people or whatever room you happen to be sitting in right now. I mean, some of us here today, what, like, like those women who went out to the tomb or the two disciples from Emmaus, some of us here today, we have actually seen something. We have experienced something real that we say has changed our lives. I mean, we claim to have had a personal encounter with Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried, and yet now lives, lives in the world and lives in us. I mean, if that's true, that's pretty amazing news, and you can't blame us for being excited about it. But some folks in the room today are probably feeling a little bit more like those other two, Peter and John. Maybe like them, you've heard reports about Jesus. Maybe you've actually taken time to go out and investigate them, to check it out for yourself. Maybe you've even sensed something stirring inside of you but you're just not sure what to make of it. And then there may be others who are here in the room today who are feeling like the rest of the crowd in the room that night who hadn't seen or felt a thing. And so they're full of doubt. They're having a hard time believing any of this. And, and, and maybe you're feeling that way too. You, you've never had any of the, these kinds of experiences. The funny thing is, some of your friends, some of your family members really believe these things. I mean, these are people you know and trust. In fact, they may have dragged you here today hoping to convince you that it's true. <laughs> but you're just having a hard time buying it. Isn't it good to know that there's room in the room for all of us? That it's okay to doubt, to struggle, to have questions, to take some time as you make this journey of faith? I mean, did you notice Jesus, he, did, he doesn't scold them for being confused or for even being slow to believe or skeptical. Fine bunch of friends you are. There's none of that. The first thing he says to them, all he wants for them and for us is peace. Well, having said that, he then does something very strange. Keep going, verse 39. Look at my hands and feet, he says. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. He showed them his scars, pulled the sleeves back and held out his hands. He said, go ahead, look, run your fingers across the scar tissue. I mean, that's a little bit strange. Now, he's doing it, of course, to prove that it's really him, that he's not some stranger or imposter, that he's not a figment of their imagination. He has real flesh and he has real scars. But have you ever wondered why he had scars? I mean, why did the resurrected Christ still have scars? 
mean, he's supposed to be glorified, right? This is supposed to be the best version of himself. Shouldn't those holes in his body have been healed? Wouldn't it have been more impressive if his skin was sleek and smooth with no sign of the damage that had been done? I really have always wondered that. Why does the risen Christ still bear the scars of his worst moment, of his crucifixion? I'm beginning to understand why, and you probably are too. It's because those scars tell a story. I mean, that's what scars do. I've got a scar on my elbow here. It's about, about two inches long or so. You can barely see it anymore. I got it like 50 years ago <laughs> when I was a kid and a bunch of us in the neighborhood found all this rubber tubing and we decided it'd be fun to make a bungee cord out of that tubing. And then it'd be cool to rig it up to that bridge over the creek and kind of jump and bounce on the cord. Well, since I was the oldest, I was the first to go and it really didn't work very well, the bungee part. <laughs> and I got the scar to prove it. That scar tells the story of a childhood adventure and of a mom who was really, really mad. <laughs> but you've got scars too and stories to go with them. Maybe the scar on your elbow is from that time you fell off the bike when you were a kid, but you got right back on again and you learned to ride a bike that day. Maybe that, that, that scar on your leg tells a story of how you blew out your knee in high school playing ball and it changed the direction of your life. Scars tell stories of emergency C-sections and beating cancer and tours of duty, and maybe the quadruple bypass that saved your life. And Jesus' scars told a story too. They told a story of, of his great love, of how he came into this world and experienced all the world's brokenness all the injustice, all the indifference, all the violence, all the hypocrisy, it was all heaped on his shoulders and he carried it up that hill to that cross. And there he experienced all of it on our behalf. He said, this, this stuff leads to death and it has to stop here. Those scars tell the story of how he was pierced for our transgressions, how he was wounded for our failures, and how he did it with courage and dignity and grace, actually forgiving the very people who were inflicting that pain and suffering on him, which, by the way, includes you and me. Those scars tell the story of how he laid down his life for his friends, which, by the way, also includes you and me. Those scars and the story they tell make Jesus even more beautiful after his crucifixion than he was before. And that brings us all the way around to this Japanese art form called kintsugi, which we introduced to you in the video at the beginning of this message. It's a method of repairing broken pottery not just with gold, but with, with, with glue rather, but with gold and silver lacquer. 
So instead of trying to disguise the damage, the breaks, the artist actually works with the damage, calls attention to the breaks in a way that makes it beautiful, that a way that makes it unique, even more beautiful and more valuable than it was before. In fact, it's beautiful because it was broken. And the brokenness and its restoration make it unique and beautiful and valuable. Friends, let's just think for a minute. How much energy do we spend trying to hide our scars? Trying to disguise the damage that's been done to our bodies and our souls? We posture and we pretend and and we preen in front of the mirror. We repress, we deny, we overcompensate for our failures. We find our best photos of the family, of the food, and we post them on Instagram and Facebook so everybody can see how happy and handsome we are. Maybe not Facebook so much anymore. (laughs) But you get the idea. What Jesus did was to take that brokenness and do something with it. Wouldn't it be great to just stop pretending? To stop having to act as if everything's great and we're not broken at all? Wouldn't it be great to just name what's happened to us and bring it out into the open? Wouldn't it be great if someone could take those broken pieces and do something with them? And that's what Jesus is about to do for his followers that night. Listen as he explains it. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Jesus' mission wasn't to make it through life unscathed by the world. He came to experience the worst of it, to suffer the worst this world has to offer, and to absorb it all, absorb its sting, its poison, like a snake handler handing out his arm to absorb the snake's venom, absorb it all so that it's no longer deadly. And he did that all the way to the grave. But then he rose from the grave, conquering the power of sin and the power of death. So we don't have to experience it that way anymore. And he rose to begin putting this world back together again, one broken person at a time, beginning with the followers who are in that room, but doing it right up until this very day. Jesus, the master Kintsugi artist, takes the broken pieces of our lives and puts them back together again, mending them not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, which wipes away all of the ugliness and allows us to become the beautiful, valuable, useful people that we were meant to be. Because now our lives and our scars tell a story of his great love and grace. Listen to how a man named Paul described it. Now, Paul was a man who knew something about about going from brokenness to beauty. And in a letter to some Christian friends, he writes these words. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will all be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul is telling us that the best version of ourselves is the version that's yet to be. 
It's the version that includes all the broken pieces of our lives. It's the version that comes to life when we turn in faith to Christ and ask him to make us whole. Resurrection isn't just about coming back to life. It's about coming back to better life. To the life God had in mind when he made this world and put each one of us here made in his image. It's about what the Bible calls eternal life. And eternal life is not just pie in the sky by and by. Eternal life doesn't begin someday when we die. Eternal life begins today. Or whatever day you bring your broken self to Jesus and ask him to do something good with it. And that's what was going to happen in the room that night. Jesus didn't show up just to tell the disciples his story. He came to give them a story, a better story than the one they'd been living or even imagined. He says, you are going to be witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. He was going to take those flawed, failed followers and turn them into messengers that could not be ignored. Because all their brokenness, all their failure, all their foolishness would bow be a part of the story. He's going to fashion them in ways that would make their story and their message even more remarkable than if they had never failed. You talk about a mirror. You know those funhouse mirrors? You stand in front of them and they make you look weird. They make tall people look short and skinny people look fat. And it takes a really powerful mirror to make me look fat. But anyway, there are mirrors that can do that. Well, this is just the opposite. This mirror, this mirror allows you to see you at your very best. And you know what that mirror is? It's the eyes of Jesus. In the words of another preacher, when they looked into Jesus' eyes, they saw mirrored there the people they were meant to be. The people they were meant to be. And that's how Jesus sees us too. It's how he sees you and me. Not just as we are, though he sees that, but he sees us as we can be, as we are meant to be with his help. All you have to do is bring it to him. If he could transform these cowards, these doubters, these failures into history-making world changers, then trust me, he can do something good with your brokenness as well. You just got to bring it to him. A few weeks ago, a guy here at Grace named Tom told a few of us his story. And as he did, and with this message on my mind already, I began to see how his story illustrates the story we've been talking about here today. So I asked him to share his story with us today, and he said he would do that. So let's turn our attention to the screen for a moment, and, and then I'll come back and wrap things up. For most of my life, I've always wanted to be effective and efficient at all the tasks that I would do. It was great for me because I was a great employee and I was highly responsible, but at the end of the day, it kept me from really enjoying life. My mom started taking me to church when I was five years old. Anytime the doors of the church were open, we would be there. I enjoyed going to church. When I was eight years old, my dad left my mom and I. And at the time, it didn't impact me as much as it impacted me later in my life. But as I started to go through the adolescent years, I, I realized there was a lot of missing things and a lot of gaps in my life. 
I saw my dad on Saturdays, but who was going to teach me to shave on Wednesdays? I always just assumed that shoveling the driveway and mowing the lawn were my responsibilities. That season of my life, I would say that childhood curiosity had left and responsibility had taken over. I came home from basketball practice one night that I started to really feel this ache of missing my father and not having him more in my life. I can remember coming home from practice and having this four-year-old temper tantrum with God, basically crying out to him, God, why can't you give me a father figure who can help me perfect my jump shot or teach me how to throw a curveball? And it was as if he said to me, all you need is me. Stop looking for someone who won't meet your high expectations. I didn't understand the importance of those words at 15, but I was sure that I knew that God had come close. As I grew up, I got married, had children, started a family, and realized that this brokenness, this thing that was still plaguing me from my childhood was there. Why did I lack confidence? Why did I feel inferior to other guys? It bothered me so much that I went to go see someone about it. And probably after about three months of counseling, finally the, the counselor asked me a question. She said, what is it you want? And I said, well, what does anybody want? I, I want a Porsche 911 with you know, a million dollars in small unmarked bills. She didn't like my answer. So she said, well, let me ask you this. What is it that you feel like you've missed out on? Took my breath away. I basically ended the conversation and said, I'll be getting back to you, I just have a lot of work to do. I went home and I started writing. And I wrote and I wrote honestly for seven hours straight. And I ended up coming up with two different lists. One list was a list that, yeah, any dad should be able to meet that list. But then there was this other list. And what I hadn't realized is that over the last 25 to 30 years, I had compiled and grew this list and expanded this list to be every single thing that I saw my dad do that was wrong. And that list had things on there that not even Father of the Year could have done. But I also remembered those words at 15 that God said to me, all you need is me. Stop looking for someone who's not going to meet your expectations. It's been seven years since I wrote those two lists. And it grieved me that it took me 30 years to see my dad as human and imperfect like me. I hated the fact that I couldn't see him as someone who needed compassion and love. But thankfully, I had a lot of good friends around me and the love of God seeing me through, helping me to see that it's just as important for me to love others in the same way that He has loved me. Understanding how God sees me has enabled me to enjoy my family more, my work more, and life just in general. It's great to be able to enjoy the things that God has given to you. The most unexpected beauty of the last seven years is that once I was able to move beyond the expectations I had for my dad, I was able to experience his love. I was able to hear it, I was able to see it, and I was able to feel it in a way that I never could have before. My dad passed away two years ago, and I'm grateful I was able to understand and grasp the love that he had for me. To think I might have missed out on all of this. Peace with myself, joy-filled relationships with my kids, 
restored relationship with my father. All because God was able to step into my brokenness. Well, like a 17-year-old ladybird, a teenage Tom looked in the mirror one day and didn't like what he saw. Something was missing. Something was broken. And no matter what he did or accomplished in school or in sports or even in his career, nothing could fill in those missing gaps. Nothing could repair the damage that had been done. So one day at 14 years old, he brought it to God. He brought it in anger the first time around, but that's okay. That's where the conversation began. And it went on for many years. And eventually, he brought all his brokenness to the Lord and invited him to do something with it. He surrendered. He trusted. And at that point, the Lord began over a period of years putting all the pieces back together again in ways Tom could never have imagined. Not only was his relationship with his father restored, but he found himself becoming a, a, a better person, a, a better father, a better husband, a better man. Now, his jump shot still needs some work, frankly. <laughs> but he's on his way to becoming a better version of himself. And someday, that work will be completed. It'll take a lifetime. But in the meantime, he's enjoying faith and life and family and work more than he ever imagined. Now, here's the full reveal of that story. Tom is actually the pastor of our Foxborough campus. And I know you could look at Tom's life and say, well, that doesn't look so bad to me. It looks like he's pretty much got it all together. And I realize that some of you are, are right now in the middle of some deep, deep pain and brokenness, and, and I don't want to minimize that in any respect. But understand as well, you can never underestimate the brokenness that people might be carrying around with them without ever showing it. And the remarkable thing about Tom's story is that after all these years, he, he, he finds himself back in the very same neighborhoods he grew up in as a child, the very places he played basketball as a teenager, only now he's there no longer broken, but telling people about what the resurrected Christ can do in their lives and in their community. Well, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Where are the scars? Where are the broken places? Aren't you tired of hiding them, of pretending, of ignoring, of trying to make up for them? Jesus gave Tom a story, and he wants to give you a story too. He wants to take those broken pieces and put them together more beautifully than you could ever imagine so that your life is not just never broken, but actually better broken, unbroken. That's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. We're going to get on the other side of this broken thing and talk about how God puts us and the world back together again. It's going to be a really hopeful series. We're going to begin it next Sunday. I'm going to take one of the characters from this story that we just read and bring him to life. Kind of a first-person dramatic presentation, costume and everything. And if you've never seen one of those, it kind of puts a fresh take on a familiar story, and then we'll be off and running. But if you should find yourself here today and you're feeling like some of the doubters and the skeptics in the room that night, 
I invite you to check out our Alpha course, which begins this week on a couple of our campuses. What happens at Alpha is exactly what happened in the room that night. They have a meal, and they talk together, and they ask all sorts of questions, and you're welcome to come. You don't have to wait for Alpha. Maybe as you head home this afternoon, you want to sit around the Easter table and talk about what you just heard, maybe with the folks who might have brought you here today. But whatever you do, do not walk away from this mirror called Easter Sunday without seeing yourself as Jesus sees you, not just as you are, but as you could be. Because the best version of yourself is the version that's yet to be in Christ's hands. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to celebrate on this great day. Thank you for a chance to look again at this familiar and yet always fresh story. Thank you for your great love for us and your plans for us and for this world. Pray, Lord, that you might help each one of us today see ourselves as you see us, come to you as we really are, Give us the courage and the faith to take whatever step we need to in order that we might become the people you would have us to be, individually and collectively, for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. In the risen name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.